Hi, everyone, and welcome to Ask a Death Doula. My name is Suzanne O'Brien. Thank you so much for tuning in today. Ask a Death Doula is a free educational podcast. This is a forum where we support people worldwide with end-of-life education. We will also be answering questions from patients, from caregivers, and from people in the movement, people that are doing this work from around the world. Uh, If you have a question, it is very likely that many other people have the same question. And right now, there is such a gap in support and education in the end-of-life life phase that we have to have a way to connect us all and we really want to make a positive change and we're doing it. There is a whole movement going on. Very exciting. The other thing that we're going to be doing and Ask a Death Doula is interviewing end-of-life leaders in this movement, uh, people that are doing doula work, people that are in policy, people that are making their community better places, putting programs in place like social hospices. And it is fantastic to see us all coming together again as a global family to help support one another in the end-of-life and aging movement. And right now, again, we are in a crisis. We have so many elderly that need our support and so many caregivers that need support in taking care of their loved ones at the end of life. So welcome to Ask a Death Doula. My name is Suzanne O'Brien. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Ask a Death Doula. My name is Suzanne O'Brien. Today's episode, we are going to be answering the question, what is a death doula? Now, if you are familiar with that term, you have probably heard that question, even asking it to yourself initially, or when you um, have in conversation with others or are explaining it to others about this new area of healthcare, they will say, what is a death doula? And I want you to know that the term death doula is kind of the buzzword that's out there right now, but there are other terms that are synonymous with that to um, announce the profession end-of-life doula, um, soul midwife, um, death midwife. There are a couple of different terms, and it depends on which one you... Sometimes what area of the world you live in is there is a more common buzz theme or word for um, that area of a profession. But right now, I feel like the death doula term, although I've been doing this for a a very long time, um, probably about seven, eight years now working on end-of-life education and care. And I remember years ago deciding, do we want to do a death doula? Do we want to do end-of-life doula term? And, you know, 
asking a few people in the death doula, especially again, if you ask somebody who is uh, in that area of their life where they're a little bit older, you know, sometimes that's just a little bit too upfront. And so, ooh, don't, don't say death doula. That's, you know, we don't even, death is the second leading fear in the United States. And, you know, people just did not want that in their face like that. So I use end of life doula with my training program, doula givers. But I also know that, you know, this is really becoming a movement and being embraced and we're embracing death again as a natural part of the life cycle, which is so exciting because it really needs to be. We need to honor people like that. So for us, um, having it be embraced again, meaning that people are opening up to death not being a scary word. And again, we have a long way to go with this, but at least we're starting. And it's very important, you know, to have people not pretend that an end-of-life experience is not part of the journey and is not going to happen to them and their families. And here's the thing. If we talk about it, we can talk about things that are really important to us. And there's something about the awareness of an end of life experience being so positive as part of our life's journey, because it makes us focus on the fact that we don't have infinite amount of time in this life's journey. So don't sweat the small stuff. What do we maybe want to get to? Because, you know, we're living in a place where we think that we're going to live forever. We're selling that out there. We're really saying, hey, we can keep people alive forever and, you know, we can do this and do that and do the other thing. But quality of life and quantity of life are two very different things. And that's something for each of us to determine for ourselves. It's really important to have this conversation on so many levels. Now, my background is a registered nurse, and I have worked most of my nursing career with hospice care, which is end-of-life care, and oncology care, which is cancer care. And I cannot tell you how many unfortunate end-of-life experiences I have been part of because of the lack of just the awareness that death is a natural part of our life cycle. And I can tell you when people are even in their 80s and 90s, families are like, what do you mean they have a terminal diagnosis? Do something. You have to do something. Fix it. We're not supposed to fix end of life. We're supposed to support it for sure and make it better. And here's the beautiful thing that it can go really, really well when you have things in place and when you have lived a life that has been one full of experiences and things that you're supposed to have hopefully accomplished being part of purpose and loving people and being part of something greater than yourself and your nucleus, being part of the whole. So let's answer the question of today's topic for today's show. What is a death doula? So doula is a Greek word that is uh, the meaning and the definition of the doula is that it is a Greek word that means non-medical person that gives physical, emotional, and spiritual support to someone else. And so what I have done and what several other people have done is made that connection with birth and death. And taking that beautiful doula word, which is really, if you know it at all, it's it is part of birthing of babies. 
you know, we plan on those beautiful bundles of joy coming in sometimes even before we're pregnant. You know, we think about it. We kind of think about what we would need or want or get things ready. And then we spend nine months preparing. We don't do any of that for the end of life at this time. Yet there's so many connections and similarities with we need the same education. We need the same support. We need the same compassion and kindness to have it go well. Now, bringing a life in is very, very different, obviously, than saying goodbye to somebody. But both are part, sacred parts of the life experience and are really important to get right. And so what we've had right now in the world, and of course it's 2017, but we're almost at 2018. We, it's it's probably the worst that it's ever been with taking care of our elders and taking care of end-of-life um, population. And that's very sad to say. But the positive thing is, is that we can make that change and we're making it now. We're making it together, which is beautiful. So we're taking this doula concept and we're bringing it forefront for helping people in the last phase of life. So death doula, end-of-life doula, Death midwife, again, a midwife is somebody who is known to help with birthing. We're helping to, if you think about it, it's birthing a soul out of this world, transitioning out of this world. Whatever your belief system is, it comes down to that we all have the same human needs as our bodies start to decline and start to transition. No matter what your religious background, what your culture, what your um, social status is, what your economic statuses, it all is the same. It all looks the same. And we need to be here for one another. Those of us who have education in this and background in this experience in this need to step forward to share with others in our community um, and however we can to share with them what they need to do and what can be done to help it go well for people because we get one opportunity to do end of life correctly. And people who are sharing that end-of-life experience with somebody they love that's leaving will remember how that goes forever. So if it goes well, they'll remember that forever. If it does not go well, they'll remember that forever too. So we want to get it right and we have to, and there are things you can do to get it right. So this new area of non-medical professionals coming through death doulas, this is amazing because they are guides. They are helping patients and families through that very stressful and scary end-of-life experience. And all of the time, my doulas are calling up, emailing, and letting me know the difference that it made having their presence guide that family through that journey and how appreciative that family is. And it's very exciting because we're going to be interviewing doulas on this show from around the world uh, in a segment called I Love Being a Death Doula and having them share their firsthand bedside experiences with patients and the difference that their being there made for that whole family. So it's, it's really powerful. So why did I personally become a death doula trainer. I have a program called Doula Givers and we train end-of-life doulas from around the world. Why did I feel the need and the purpose to go on that mission to do that? I was a hospice nurse working with end-of-life patients and I loved that. I loved hospice. Um, the philosophy is so beautiful. It's a holistic model of care. 
But unfortunately, because especially in the United States, we have such restrictions on how much time as a medical professional we can spend with patients and families, that it was not enough. And you, you compound this with the fear of death. In the United States, it's a second leading fear in this country, and it was preventing people from even making any kind of foreseeing what they would like, even if they were in their 70s, 80s, 90s, not doing advanced directives, not having a conversation with their family about what their wishes would be, not explaining what quality of life would be to them and when it would be time to maybe stop trying to fix a disease process. So all these things combined makes for a very, very challenging end of life, especially when we don't again, live with the realization that end of life is a natural part of our life's journey and that one day will be a part of what we go through. So let's talk about my particular journey in the United States for a minute. So as I was working at the bedside of people, and I'm going to specifically talk about oncology and cancer care right now, because there are people who were in treatment and people who do get better, but then there's a whole segment of people who unfortunately, um, they're, they're, they do not. So maybe their cancer comes back, maybe it um, just is something that's not being cured by a treatment. And what I was finding that so many people were saying to me in the hospital setting is that they just wanted to go home. I just want to go home. And I thought, if you can tell me that, if you can say that and you're clear of mind, why aren't you home and experiencing your last few weeks, months um, in the surroundings that you want? So then it, you know, I went out and I researched a bunch of information to see what was the general population saying. And it was this, nine out of 10 people say that if they were terminally ill, they want to be cared for at home. And this is done by a national hospice organization, Gallup Poll, in 1996 in the United States. But every poll and survey that I have found from that time has had nine out of 10 people. And you can kind of, you know, say this to yourself, where would I want to be in my last phase of life? Do I want to be in an institution environment or a hospital or do I want to be at home? We want to be at home. That's most of us want to be at home. That same poll found that the number one fear of the dying patient was that they did not want to be a burden to their family. Now, for us in the United States, hospice, again, is a beautiful concept, a very holistic, beautiful model of care. But many people do not know what hospice truly does and what they don't do. And because we're not having the conversation or planning ahead for our end of life experiences at all, how are you supposed to know what resources there are and what they actually do? So for me, coming in as the hospice nurse, I was finding that so many people were very unaware of what hospice will do to care for your loved one. So here is what we do. The hospice nurse will manage the care of the dying patient but I will teach the family how to do the care. So if my patients were what we call stable, they were doing okay, I would visit once a week as a hospice nurse in home care and maybe an hour visit. Think about that. I would visit once a week for about an hour long visit if my patient was stable, if there were no really active conditions happening for my end-of-life patient. But I would try and teach the family how to do the care for their loved one. And again, I said in this last statement, I said, try and teach the family how to do the care. And this is really where the breakdown in the system is right now, is that you combine the fear of death and the 
um, late planning that none of us are really doing. We're not planning um, on what that end of life looks like and where we'd want to be having those family discussions. And you take a family who has an end of life loved one in their home that they're supposed to care for. And I come in once a week as a hospice nurse and I'm trying to teach the family how to care for their loved one. You can't get it done. Not the way that it should be done. So people, for the most part, have no knowledge at this time in our current life of how to care for someone who is at end of life. Let's talk a little bit about the past. So 100 years ago, we did know how to care for our loved ones at end of life. But there, why? Why was that so? There are so many changes in the last 100 years. So first of all, the life expectancy has jumped from 46 to 78. That's, that's huge. And also medical advances have become so far advanced now that we can keep people alive. People are living really, really long lengths of time. And I, I guess the average age of life is 78. And, you know, I've had patients that are, that are 106. And it's, you know, our aging population is so large in the United States and it's so large worldwide. So for right now, we have about 78 million people that are over 65 years old in the United States at this time. And 20% of that 78 million people do not have their own children. So it's usually the adult child that will take care of an aging parent, not always, but usually. And so we have we have 20% of our 78 million people in the United States don't have children. Who is taking care of those people? And let's just talk about the other people who do have children. Now, first of all, it's not always guaranteed that the adult child will take care of an aging parents, but we expect them to do that without any knowledge of how to do it until the very last, very quick, small amount of time that we have with that fear being present. It, it can't be done as well um, as it should be at all. And I'm being very gentle when I say it that way. So we have to have other ways that we can support people to have that home experience of end of life the way they want it and support their loved ones to be able to give it to them. They want to do this for them. They love their their mother and father, and they want to support them, but they are petrified and they don't have the knowledge. And so we have to have guides. We have to have people who are specialized in end-of-life care, in all aspects of it, to like a birthing doula, through the pregnancy, through the act of labor, through the birth of the baby, and even after the baby comes out. That same process has to be done for end-of-life. From the time somebody gets a terminal diagnosis, have a doula there. From the, the point of heading into the transition phase, to where we're actively dying, to when that person passes to even after the person is died. We have to have people guiding and supporting and helping families through that. It's way too much. And again, it's not going well for them right now. So we talked about death being the second leading fear in this country. And I've talked to many people in different countries and that fear is really up there in so many different places. So what what is that fear? And again, I it was palpable when I was working with oncology patients and hospice patients. The fear of death was so palpable. And I thought, my goodness, something really awful has to be 
in front of us, ahead of us, that, that people are, you know, literally avoiding it at all costs and not being able to be present and just terrible. Um, and so I went out on a journey to find out what this, what this fear was, what was going to happen that was so awful. And it made me come to a question to ask you right now, is death really scary or is it a natural process? And have we literally created a fear around death because it's almost this illusion that we don't talk about, we don't prepare for, we don't have any knowledge of? So did we create a false fear associated with death that is so profound right now that is just really causing a lot of pain and suffering for people? I have to tell you, I do think that that is what has happened because I've been privileged to be with so many people at end of life and I have had some absolutely incredible, beautiful experiences when everything is being supported, when things are in place and when it goes well, it is phenomenal and we will remember that in our hearts forever. So isn't everyone deserving and entitled of that experience because death is an inevitable part of the journey. Absolutely. We know that it's guaranteed. You know, they used to say that there's two two things that are guaranteed in life, death and taxes. Well, I have to tell you, some people don't even pay their taxes. So that might not even be a guaranteed, but death is. It does not have to be scary. It does have to be respected and honored and really looked at for what it is because we are all going to get there and it can go well. And it's so hard to say goodbye to someone we love for a long time. You know, saying goodbye to somebody is so hard, but we have to know that we can do it well and we can remember our life journey with them. Um, And that's another thing we're not doing. We're not doing bereavement and grief and memorializing people well, because we can we can maintain that love and that connection with them at any time. That love is love is love. It is never destroyed. It cannot be broken. It is omnipresent, but we have to allow it to be there. So we will go on a journey with all things end of life in Ask a Death Doula, which is very exciting. We talked about the life expectancy in the United States from 47 to 78 years, and I'm sure this is very similar in a lot of places, especially um, industrialized countries that have the medical advances. And again, we have to look at quantity versus quality. You know, keeping somebody alive and living are two very different things, and that is subjective, and that's up to the individual person to make that choice for themselves, what that means. So the definition of a death doula, a death doula is a non-medical person who cares for someone physically, emotionally, and spiritually at the end of their life. Beautiful. Just a beautiful, beautiful concept. Why is it important? Um, You know, We can't, as medical practitioners, and right now I'm wearing my medical cap in the United States, we cannot supply the amount of time that patients need in an end-of-life process. You know, when I go in as a nurse and I'm assessing the patient and I'm documenting, I'm really not 
able to be fully present and not there nearly enough as that patient and that family needs. So we need adjunct help to fill the gap of what our hospice care has in the United States. And in other countries, you know, having these guides are probably one of the only resources that people will have. And that's okay. That might be all that they need. Um, We're highly educated as death doulas. Again, we train people from the time of a terminal diagnosis all the way through to pass the point after somebody dies. You know, I have a program that helps people to re-enter life after loss. We talk about grief and bereavement. We, you know, we know that people are going to mourn the loss of a loved one in the way that's right for them. And there's no right or wrong and there's no one size fits all. So allowing people these skills and tools to do that, but also the permission to know that it's okay and it's natural to do that. You know, right now in the United States, we say, you know, well, take about two weeks off for the funeral and, um, you know, doing some arrangements and taking a little time for yourself. And then, you know, it's back to life and, you know, you're supposed to get this is not something you get over in two weeks. You don't, you don't just lose somebody you've loved for so long and it's done. That's just not how it works. But we expect people um, to live that way and to not have the permission to properly go through what they need to as far as mourning their loved one. So we're here as death doulas, as end-of-life doulas to educate and support in every aspect of end-of-life from the time of personal um, diagnoses of a terminal diagnosis all the way through to even after somebody has passed helping the loved ones to re-enter life. And a big part of what we do also is help people to get the education before they ever need it on what some choices would be that might, they might want to choose and how to have the best end of life experience for themselves and what that means. So there is a lot to this movement and it's very exciting because when you see it go well, like I said, there's absolutely nothing greater, no greater gift that you can give that family or that patient than helping them with a positive end of life experience. So for Ask a Death Doula, I am encouraging you to please send your questions in to askadeathdoula at gmail.com and we will address them on the next week's um, episode. And also, if you are somebody who is working with end-of-life patients, if you are a death doula working in any part of the world and you would like to share a personal account of an experience with a patient, and their loved ones, and how the difference of having you there guiding that end-of-life experience made for a better overall end-of-life for this whole family, please let us know. We'd love to spotlight you on the show. Um, We are a global family and a global community working together to help end-of-life be better for everyone everywhere. So please join us at askadeathdoula at gmail.com. We also have doula givers Dot com and that we have a lot of free education there. And we have the International Doula Givers Foundation now where we supply free education, resources, support to communities everywhere. And if you are one of those communities in need, please contact us as well. We would love to help you. So thank you so much for joining me on Ask a Death Doula. My name is Suzanne O'Brien. See you on next week's episode. Bye-bye, everyone.